Well, I'm a family doc. I worked in Ocala, Florida this morning. I drove down here just to give a voice for the voiceless, the people who were treated unfairly during COVID, uh, worse than unfairly. My own experience as a doctor caring for patients in four hospitals. And I have to tell you, Sarasota did an amazing job of allowing people to have a voice today, although they cut our time down at the last minute to three minutes, and in my case, two and a half minutes. So I didn't get to say what I wanted to say because I was only given two and a half minutes to really speak about my concerns. What happened just now was that there's a wonderful board member who I just met for the first time. I went up to her after the meeting, or I thought it was near the end of the meeting, and just asked her if there was any chance I could say something more uh, because I had been cut short. And I wanted to say, had I had a few more minutes to say, she herself voiced the fact that there's doctors on staff at this hospital who will not speak their mind because for fear of retribution, for fear of losing their job. And what I wanted to tell her as a doctor who's taking care of other physicians with COVID for the last three years, other physicians, cardiologists, pathologists, obstetricians, pediatricians calling me for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, but they wouldn't ever let anyone know. This is what's happened. The hospitalists, even in this hospital, do not want people to know where they stand because they, have, they are fearful of eventually being kicked out of either the hospital or their own groups. So the reason I came here, I said, I'm, all I said was I'm wearing this white coat, I represent myself, and most importantly, my contract with my patients. So that's different. Hospital anymore, 99% of the doctors have a contract, an exclusive contract with the hospital, or they're employed by the hospital. They cannot speak their minds freely. But what do they do when they had COVID, especially during Delta? They call doctors like me all over the state. I got calls from doctors and lawyers and mayors and, and teachers, and I just treated them with the stuff that I knew worked and kept them out of the hospital. So I, what happened here tonight was simply, I guess I violated protocol. I have to confess, I have not ever been at a hospital board meeting, ever. I've been chief of staff, but not this kind of meeting where I thought I could walk up and just say thank you for what, for what the lady said. And the treatment I got was for a half a dozen, you know, uniformed folks to initially walk me out of there and then say I had to leave the entire premises of the hospital as though I'm some kind of a criminal. And all they did is speak my mind. That was the voice of Dr. John Littell. The reason it was so noisy was he had just been kicked out of a board meeting at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. He was escorted out by the police. This law-abiding, great physician, which we're going to who we're going to interview in just a second, and you're going to hear his background and why they felt what he said was so offensive. It is fascinating, and it has repercussions for future. It's not just a past event. So I hope you'll stay tuned. And if you have a question, you can write us at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Or you can call us at 662-821-2040, 662-821-2040. And um, I also want to thank Preborn because we couldn't do this without their help. Uh, ultrasounds are their business. That's what they do. They provide ultrasounds uh, to women in Los Angeles Chicago, the East Coast of Florida, they're all provided by preborn. Uh, ultrasound allows the mom to hear her baby's heartbeat and see the precious life within her. Ultrasounds save lives, and the services are provided free of charge uh, just because of you. And so if you'd like to help us, because many of you already have, and we thank you for that, if you would still, uh, haven't signed up but you want to, uh, you can give a one-time gift, or you can do a monthly gift. You dial pound 250 on your phone, pound 250, and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 on your phone saying the keyword baby. Or go to preborn.com slash sandy. That's preborn.com slash sandy. All right, you're in for some a really gripping story today from Dr. John 
Latell. Let's listen. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. It blows my mind how the medical profession has basically lost so much compassion and common sense during this time. I gave them compliments. I said, Sarah Sutter, you have a great willingness to recommend score HCAPs. You guys are amazing. You must do amazing things in this hospital. But let's not blow you know, smoke at us right now and try to tell us that what you do with COVID patients was acceptable. It'll never be acceptable. And they, if they want to be the best hospital, if they want to be the best, have need to be the first to admit that they did wrong. And as that board member said, that they didn't listen to the doctors. They didn't entertain alternative treatments. They didn't even look at uh, early treatment. When I brought that up in my hospital, I can't mention the hospital right now. I will at some other point. But when I brought up early treatment to the medical executive council, they said, we don't, we're going to open up more isolation units. We're not talking about early treatment. I said, why not try to get people out of your hospital, prevent them from coming into the hospital? No one wanted to hear it then. No one wants to hear it now. They're still looking at the bottom line, which is hospital care patients. This is why people have lost faith and confidence in hospitals. Who wants to come to a hospital that doesn't care about keeping them out of the hospital in the first place? Or see a doctor that won't go out of his way or her way to keep them out of the hospital? That's all. And I'm happy to be a voice for those patients, and that's why I'm here. All right, this is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. That's a, a doctor, Dr. John Littell, actually speaking on the sidewalk outside of the Sarasota Memorial Hospital because he was kicked out of the meeting. And consequently, uh, because of things he said in that meeting, was had his board certification uh, suspended. Uh, so uh, Dr. Latell joins us this morning. The reason I want you to hear from him is because many of us think that COVID is over, the hassles, uh, the, the, uh, the loss of our freedoms, all the things we've been concerned about. We think that's past. It's over. The problem is it's not over for the medical world, and the repercussions of this uh, into other things is so very dangerous. So Dr. Latell is still on the front lines of trying to sort that out, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Dr. Latell. Hey, good morning, Sandy. I'm happy to be with you this morning. All right. Let me tell people that you are a board-certified family physician. You've been in uh, practice for many, many years. You have your MD from George Washington University. You served in the U.S. Army, where you received the Meritorious Service Medal, uh, you have a practice in Kissimmee, Florida. You've been on the faculty of the University of Central Florida School of Medicine. You've been the president of the County Medical Society, the chief of staff at the Florida Hospital. So you have, uh, plus you're an author of a book called The Hidden Truth, Deception in Women's Healthcare. Uh, you have done some very important things. Is it also true, uh, Dr. Littell, sort of clarify this for me. You have in um, you've been sort of a counselor in many ways to Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. You've been one of his uh, one of his advisors. Is that correct? Well, I was honored to have him call me um, early in the days, and I don't even. And honestly, I have not spent personal time with him, but somehow he found out about me 
and called in the early days to get advice about the mask issue. It was a it was an amazing honor that he called the office. He'd heard seen <clears throat> presumably one of my videos uh, that was taken down on YouTube, but basically. Uh, the video was entitled "Taking the Mask Off of COVID-19," uh, and it was, a, I think, a fairly effective presentation at that time as to what was happening in our country. And I'm sure your your listeners yeah. know about you know that that, yeah. that was a tactic that was used to kind of de- de- disarm uh, people and the medical profession, and and to get a, get parents to become compliant with these incredibly evil directives. But that said, he asked me about that. The, the other person that's been you know, I've been very close to has been Dr. Joseph Ladipo, the Surgeon General that he picked. And uh, he and I have had a lot of opportunity to discuss some strategy for, for Florida. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm just oh. thankful that we have a governor who, who is, uh, takes the initiative and reaches out to try to get a different perspective on things in this, in this state, right. which, yes. as I'm sure you, most of your listeners know, this is a, a free state. But you know, despite being a free state, we have a lot of hospitals, a lot of doctors, a lot of the healthcare system that is still um, operating under a, a delusion or an illusion that, uh, you know, that these, these draconian measures need to be followed. Let me jump in because I want to also say that you are, now my listeners to the morning show know that um, I've supported your huge medical conference, COVID conference in Florida last fall where you brought in Dr. Malone and all of me, all the players in this who are all, you work very closely with all of them. It was a major conference. You brought in lots of doctors and medical people. It had tremendous impact. So that's who you are in the world of COVID and in the world of medicine. Uh, just a glimpse. So uh, you drove all the way from your practice in Ocala to Sarasota to attend a hospital board meeting. Why? Because you're, that's not your hospital. What, why, what was your mission? That was uh, about a little over a month ago, and it was because I people really implored me to be there because uh, to this day I'm one of the few, probably the only doctor in our group of COVID-aware physicians that was providing hospital care as well as outpatient care to people with, with these symptoms. And I've, I've always tried to maintain my hospital privileges because, uh, as I tell medical students, you know, when you take care of patients for years on end, uh, it doesn't seem, uh, you know, ethical to abandon them when they're when they're sick unto death. You know, when they're finally having to be in the hospital, and so, and especially during COVID, boy, was that uh, you know a, a very important time for me to be able to go into these COVID units. So, having seen what took place within the four walls of the hospitals, uh, and they were having this debate in a public hospital in Sarasota Memorial over. The treatment of COVID patients. It was uh, I just had to be down there to explain what I'd seen and offer suggestions as to how uh, to improve the quality of care given to not just COVID patients, but God forbid we have other pandemics, which it's likely to happen. Yes. Well, so so did they have like you know I th- the only, my only experience with this would be like a, an open school board meeting where you have to get on the list and you have five minutes or whatever you have. Did they have a list and had you signed up? Did they know you were going to speak? Yeah, they didn't, you know, it was interesting. They didn't, nobody knew who was going to be there. They didn't know a large group of people would turn out. And so in anticipation of that, the chief of staff of the hospital physician um, had um, loaded, the, the filled up the auditorium ahead of time with hundreds of supporters of the hospital who, who just basically during this open board meeting shared their 
their pride at having been, you know, affiliated or had delivered their babies or had their mother or father. It was totally irrelevant to the issue of COVID treatment of patients and took up the big, the majority of the time of the meeting was a bunch of people saying how great the hospital was when, in fact, the purpose of the meeting, which was called by the three new board members who were elected by the public, was to address COVID care, care, the use of remdesivir, denial of early treatment, isolation, et cetera. Um, so I just drove down, showed up. My wife and I, thankfully, were the last two to get into the auditorium because, again, it had been filled with uh, supporters, and they had to turn away people from our group of medical freedom fighters um, but fortunately, we got in, um, and I was able to get my piece of paper turned in in time to speak uh, on behalf of the patients. And and again, that that's all history now. But they clearly were not ready to hear what I had to say. Yes, because you, you and they only now. This is the other part. I just, I'm sorry, but I just want to know. I you had how much time did you think you had? Well, you know, initially we were told five minutes, which is not very much time. Um, then they cut it down to three minutes. And as I said, you know, it felt like it was closer to two minutes, and mostly because I felt it was appropriate to let them know that I was not there to denigrate their hospital. I wanted to offer support because they were willing to have this conversation. So I gave them some very uh, good, I thought, words of support before I launched into my uh, concerns. And then, of course, I was cut off and essentially felt like I had two minutes to speak. And and then, of course, I, I as you saw or heard the, the biggest part of my interview, and I got more than my two minutes, was after I was escorted out of the hospital by three uniformed security officers and um, and just told I had to get onto the sidewalk, and that's where the uh, uh, the reporter caught up to me, and we were able to have a conversation. Yeah, so they... But you didn't say anything. I mean, I did listen to the speech. Uh, you challenged them. You said, I thought this was great. This is on the sidewalk. You said... You have the potential. You are a great hospital, and you gave all the reasons. But you can be greater. Uh, these are my words, not yours. But you'll be greater if you admit that you have made a mistake, that you treated you badly, um, badly treated people. You did not give them proper care. You could admit that and be a greater hospital. And the reporter asks you why they're not doing that, because it defies logic. We know about remdesivir now. We know about... You know the masking, uh, the, the you know the um, ventilators or re- whatever they put them on that was killing them. We know so much about this; the public knows. So the question is, and I know the answer, Doctor Littell, but why do hospitals insist on continuing with this? Because they still are, right? Yeah, the lockstep. The lockstep. The hospitals felt like they needed to be lockstep with CDC protocol from day one, and um, so did the physicians who worked in the hospitals. And I kept saying, you know, you heard me say that the hospitals lacked both common sense and compassion. You know, common sense dictates that if a patient's in a room in, in, with, a, with a medical condition, and if the dietary staff can walk into that room and deliver their breakfast, lunch, and dinner and walk out, and the housekeeping staff can walk into that room and clean around their beds and and if various nursing personnel and even administrative personnel can walk in and out of the room, common sense would dictate that the family member could go into that room, the husband, the wife of 60 years, the children, uh, and not have to wait until, as the, as the protocol said, until they were DNR status and or dead, you know, 
So, the, you know, and basically give them no hope. So common sense and, of course, compassion. I mean, you know, the, 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 I, I, I've just called it nothing but blatant evil that somebody felt some hospital administrators or every hospital administrator in this country basically shut the door on family members who would have been the main advocates, who would have insisted that their loved ones get appropriate treatment, and if not treatment, at least give them hope. And as I said in that meeting, there is no healing without hope. There's no healing without relationship. And this is what was missing in every hospital in this country for two or three years and continues to this day because they continue to test unnecessarily for COVID in many, many, many cases, the majority of cases, and they isolate these people for no good reason from family members and loved ones. So we do have a problem, and I wanted to just let them know if they want to be the best hospital, they should be the first to admit, and you know, we did wrong to these patients. We should have allowed their loved ones and advocates to come in, be with them, pray for them, and we should have opened, the, opened our minds to early treatment and not been stuck in this remdesivir killing protocol that they use and still continue to use. You know, Doctor, I just thought of something. This never occurred to me until this conversation. But I remember well, in my community, many, many people getting COVID, including including my husband, including me, as a matter of fact, but my husband's... um, So you go to your... uh, Or you call your internal medicine doctor uh, uh, and their response is, they have a sign on their door, don't come in. Don't come in. If you think you have COVID, go get tested and then go to the hospital. Don't come in. Don't come in. Go to the hospital. And I just realized, you know, because we know now that hospitals have made money hand over fist, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for declaring patients, COVID patients who are admitted. Somehow the internal medicine or the family practice people were in on this too. I mean, do you know anything about that, whether there was some... Uh, incentive for uh, individual doctors to tell their n- not treat their patients. I'll, I'll tell you what I do know, um, and not to impugn the motives. I, I think there were two factors. There was blatant fear. Doctors are human too, and so the family physicians that I know, especially some of the older ones, but even a lot of the younger ones, didn't act, enact those policies. They they said, "Don't come to the office if you're sick." This was the first time in the history of medicine that, as I know it where doctors refuse to see sick people in their office, all right? Yes. So this speaks very poorly of them. I could think of a lot of words that I wouldn't say on the radio, but they just definitely were cowards, all right? And that's, that's, the, that's the group that were fearful. They were cowards. They, they, they wouldn't know what to do, as I did during the HIV epidemic. My very first patients dying when there was a 100% mortality rate for this new infection, and the patients I was seeing at George Washington University with Kaposi's sarcoma and pneumocystis pneumonia, and we... You know, we were not as medical students, you know, told to stay out of those rooms. We were told, get in there and try to learn what's going on with this patient so you can become a better physician. All right. This was the opposite. With this disease, doctors became worse physicians. They did not want to know how to manage it. They didn't want to know how to prevent it. They didn't want to know how to treat it with early effective treatment. They didn't even want to see these patients. They wanted to have them stay in their cars, in their parking lots, do drive through nasal swabs and then send yes. them to the ER and wait yes. for their hypoxic. So that's the group that's just cowardly, that was lazy, that was, you know, a lot of words. Then you have the other group that are owned by the hospitals, okay? Now, the hospitals of America have had a campaign for over probably two decades now of putting a freestanding emergency room on every street corner in America, okay? 
they have been driving up business for hospitals for at least close to two decades now. That's why they put up banners on the sides of roads saying wait time less than five minutes in our <laughs> ER. And anyone who knows, if you come to my office, <laughs> you know, the wait time might be up to a half hour. You're, you know, if you get in and out in an hour, that we call that a good good day. We expect that because we know how busy we are in my office. But, but you know, <clears throat> the, uh, the reality is the emergency rooms have become feeding troughs for the hospital's business, and the doctors who work for the hospitals are complicit with that as well. They're, they're probably, we're at some level told, send your people to the ER, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And then, of course, once they get in the ER, which I saw time and time again, patients were trapped unless, unless, I thank God I have privileges. I go by the hospital. I walked into ERs. I said, send this one home. I'd, I'd arrange oxygen for this one. Of course, you know, Sandy, they couldn't get ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or any of that good stuff in the hospital. So I'd say to the patient in the emergency room, get out of here now. Go home. I'm going to put you on bread medication is going to get you better and sure enough they turned around they did not get in the hospital it was it was a constant constant uh, battle for me uh, sandy you have I, when i speak about it sometimes i get at least PS, ptsd kind of emotions because it was you know an onslaught yeah terrible so, um, terrible all right i want to move what ahead we, that's what we dealt with because there's so I, listen i want to read at least a part of this they sent you a letter on march the 16th Removing your board certification, and this is what they say, the ABFM, that's the American Board of Family Medicine, has determined that your public channels contain false, inaccurate, and misleading statements constituting health misinformation and disinformation about COVID-19. And then this Andrea Back, who is listed as a professional specialist, which seems very weak uh, gruel for a medical um, association, but she says, for instance, there's no evidence that pediatric myocarditis deaths attributed to COVID vaccination are more numerous than prevented by deaths. The myocarditis caused by COVID is mild and not associated with fatalities. I've just chosen that one thing, but that's the kind of flavor of the accusations against you. So you're in the process of uh, defending yourself. They have now uh, reinstated temporarily your certification, and what are you and your attorney doing in response to this? Yes, we have. You know, thank you for reading that part. Um, just so your listeners know, I just yesterday came across a journal from Japan, a Japanese medical journal, a case of a 14-year-old girl who, um, after her first two injections, was, was seriously affected uh, to the extent that she couldn't go to school. Uh, and then her third injection died two days later from massive multi-organ system failure, inflammation caused by spike protein throughout her body. And that was just one case report. There was many kids who've been adversely impacted to the point of death that are not getting the coverage. So what is being done is a, a threefold approach to restoring uh, justice, right, in, in the world of especially specialty certification is a big deal for all of us in medicine, okay? You may remember some of your listeners, the time where you had a GP, right, general practitioner, yes. you yeah. know, Marcus Welby, you know, <laughs> and um, GPs went to medical school and then maybe had a one-year internship and went out in the early 70s, right around 72, they decided every doctor in the country needs to go through extra training. So it's called specialty training. So to become a family physician, it was three more years of pediatrician. So um, where we're at with that is that... Um, uh, you know, my board certification was uh, 
basically repealed or and then and then they said ending the results of an appeal so we have an administrative process taking place right now which is going to uh re- hopefully be successful it's going to the professionalism committee of the American Board of Family Medicine in about uh, uh in May sometime during May we're not overly optimistic that that's going to be successful because the letters they've sent to us are just so replete with the, the lies the, the narrative that you've all heard so if that's not successful, we've mounted a legal campaign. That's why we started a Give, Send, Go, because the Give, Send, Go, which is a fundraising site for Dr. Littell's legal fund, is actually going to go towards whatever legal battles we have to try to preserve the rights of physicians to advocate and treat their patients. And so we've got three great lawyers, uh, Matt Staver of the Liberty Council, uh, leading the way with Jeff Childers out of Gainesville. Uh, you, some people may have heard of his coffee and COVID segment. He's an amazing friend and, and great lawyer. And then uh, Andrew Schlafly, who's the legal counsel for the American Academy of Physicians and Surgeons, which is the, uh, the alternative, you might say, to the AMA. So we've got three for the legal challenge. So there's the administrative work, there's the legal work, and then even this week in the state of Florida, the Senate is going to be addressing, I wish I could be there, but I got so many patients. But some, I believe tomorrow they're addressing Senate Bill, I think it's 232, which is a medical freedom slash freedom of conscience bill for physicians, protecting physicians in the state of Florida from the kind of things that happen to me, disciplinary measures. And so there's a, administrative action, legal action, and legislatively, every state needs to start protecting their doctors and patients, obviously. All right, so it's called, in, in Florida, this is called, as I understand it, the Prescribed Freedom Plan. And uh, part of it, the first part, I think there's like three parts to it, but one, the first part is to protect uh, doctors like Dr. Littell uh, from f- being forced to violate their ethical and religious beliefs. And there's a lot more to it. Maybe we'll do a follow-up interview on that piece of legislation. But thank God for Ron DeSantis, and thank God for Florida, and thank God for Dr. John Littell. Uh, and his influence. Now, practically speaking, it's Gibson go what slash Dr. John Littell or what's the what's the verbiage? I think I think the way the way it works. And by the way, this was set up not by me, but by Moms for Florida and mo- part of Moms for America. What a wonderful group! Rebecca Ricks and others, just fantastic, just really true moms, just still with small children who have just spoken out for freedom, and they wanted to do something to protect them, mainly because. Again, there's no doctors even supporting moms' decisions not to vaccinate their kids. All these pediatricians are jabbing the kids and forcing oh, no. parents to do it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I use the word force because it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a prodding. It's a whatever you want to call it, guilt trip. You know, how would they yeah. do it? Yep. But, but so they've set up this, it's called, it used to, people know GoFundMe. This is sort of a more uh, appropriate alternative because it's faith-based. It does allow people to pray for which prayers are so impactful and effective. So. There's a section there to pray, but if you go to Give, Send, Go, and just type in search in the search bar, put Dr. Littell, L-I-T-T-E-L-L, you'll find it. And, um, yeah, there, there's a large fund of money. that the, the sum of money, which is, says a half a million, is only because if it gets to the point of going to the courts, when it gets to the courts, this is going to be something that is going to have to go to uh, you know, a regional court and possibly beyond because it impacts doctors all over the country who've been similarly disciplined uh, and, you know, pressured, silenced. And I can go with example after example of doctors like myself. I just happen to be the latest victim. Mm-hmm. 
So one last thing, uh, practical thing. Where uh, where can they find your What's your handle? Is it Rumble or where are you posting? Where can people find your stuff, Dr. Littell? Well, I mean, I, I finally got forced to go onto Twitter by Robert Malone, who, who said, follow me. <laughs> I, when I wrote my book, The Hidden Truth, um, and so you, you first we can go to my website, johnlittellmd.com. We're trying to keep that current. I, I've never really had time to put into it, but it's coming, it's coming along. The website's got a lot of good stuff, some articles I've written on women's health care, the book, videos. Etc. that were taken down by YouTube. They're available on my website. And then I finally got onto Twitter uh, at John, at John Littell, MD. That's the handle. That's John Littell, MD. Okay, excellent. If your appeal doesn't work, Will, what would happen? If you lo- actually lost your certification, are you then un- yeah, just unable to practice? Yes. When I lost my certification, the first calls I got were from both of the hospitals on which I have privileges, both of them saying, you realize this impacts your ability to take care of patients here. The second call I got was from the medical student coordinators for the schools where I teach. I teach out of, I've taught from five different medical schools, PA schools, and nurse practitioner programs. I have a ton of students come to my office over the last several years, and I would not be able to teach specifically the medical students, which is the future of medicine. So, um, and then, of course, insurance contracts. So there'd be a lot of impact if I did not remain certified. There are alternative boards out there uh, besides the American Board of Family Medicine. But that said, over 100,000 family physicians have been certified through ABFM, over a million physicians through the other specialty boards under the same umbrella. Sandy, I'm here to tell you they're all corrupt. They're all political. They're all, um, this has been a predetermined plan over decades now to wean out physicians of conscience, and they've been doing it worse than ever of late, especially with the transgender issues and other issues of the day, the pro-life issues. So we have got a time in our country where young men and women who've been aspired to be doctors, even at the point of going into pre-med programs in colleges, have been selected against selected against. This is not natural selection. This is artificial selection. People are saying, no, you know, you're not going to fit. You're not a good fit in the medical profession because you have a conscience, because you see right from wrong too clearly. I'm telling you, Sandy, I see it time and time again. Very sad. So we have a lot of work to do to fight this. And I know the American Family Association is a big part of that fight. So thank you for letting me ventilate about what I'm seeing each day. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure, Dr. Littell, and I appreciate all of your time this morning because I know you have many, 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 many patients. People flock to you, and so and for a good reason. I'll say, okay, so we will pray for you and try to help you in any way we can. Uh, you can find the stuff on Dr. Littell at johnlittellmd.com, johnlittellmd.com, and you can find him at, uh, at John Littell uh, on Twitter, for those of you who tweet. Okay, so Dr. Littell, thank you. God bless you, and... Uh, Hope to talk to you soon. You got to have a wonderful week. God bless Sandy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, that was amazing. And uh, Dr. Littell is just an incredible person in every way. He's a very strong Christian, uh, but he's a very principled man. In addition to that, he's actually a Christian who has principles. Yes, uh, but his his practice of medicine is... uh, stellar and he has clients from all over the state of florida as he described and now they want to take away his uh his board certification it's just a shocking story um i've asked 
my sweetheart, Bruce, to join me on this because we certainly had a lot of experience with COVID. Uh, those of you that are new to the podcast won't know about that, but we'll tell you the story in just a second, at least a little bit of it. I want to say thank you to Preborn because ever we say thank you to them all the time because we mean it. Uh, abortion is the leading cause of death among infants in the U.S. and in the world. And sadly, with the abortion pill accounting for over 50% of all abortions, babies' lives are at even greater risk now. Since Roe versus Wade, over 63 million babies have been aborted in the U.S., and nearly one in five pregnancies does not choose life. In the midst of this awful tragedy, we can do something about it, and that is provide an ultrasound so that moms can see their babies for the first time and decide to keep them. That's as simple as that. If you'd like to help, it's $28 for one ultrasound. You go to your phone, dial pound 250, and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. All right. Um, I've asked Bruce to join me. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. Uh, my, Bru- my, my Bruce, <laughs> yeah, he's my Bruce, uh, is a former FBI agent, uh, retired, and um, he has a lot of perspective. But the one thing that happened to us in the midst of COVID, probably two years ago now, right? yes, mm-hmm. uh, was that he, he got a horrible case of COVID. It went into his lungs, and he nearly died. And we had, of course, we had a lot of friends who uh, were did have COVID and got various treatment. I want to go back to this, Bruce. Do you remember... When friends of ours were getting COVID, and and us too, I remember us going to our family practice guy. And what did the, remember when we went try to get into the office? What it said on the door? I've never heard of anything so silly in my life. It was like it was like a different universe. Uh, doctors' offices were telling people, if you are sick with COVID, do not come here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And then they'd say, go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. Go get tested, and then go to the hospital. Yeah, and then the hospital would want to turn you away because well anyway yeah well you know the thing of it is uh the thing i realized in talking with doctor as i was talking to dr latell it struck me bruce for the first time that they there had to be a financial incentive there yes that they were cooperating the hospitals were getting paid money hand over fist and i'm talking in some cases one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for each covid patient and some more than that in some health areas of the country so there's got to have been some paybacks and kickback because what doctor tells you not to come if you're sick? Absolutely. It was bizarre. And you heard Dr. Littell say that approximately 99% of the doctors belong to these groups. And that's becoming a very large problem in our society right now is that it's not between you and your doctor how you're going to be treated. It's between you, your doctor, the insurance company, and the hospital if you go there, their uh, plan and their protocol. And... Uh, why it's that way is because of the money that's being paid. And to this day, I do not understand why COVID should be selected out of all these different, uh, all the various problems you can have that you need to go into the hospital for, that COVID was picked as the one that was like the cash cow for these hospitals through the government money they were being paid. Oh, well... It might have something to do with that event called Plandemic in uh, the fall of 2019, which laid it all out, and then they implemented it. It's just it's so bizarre, Bruce. And I want to make one more point. Dr. Uh, Littell made this point that uh, most hospitals now are controlled uh, 
they hire the doctors. The doctors now are called hospitalists. They're affiliated with that hospital. They work out of that hospital. And so that's part of the reason why they walked in lockstep, because their jobs were on the line if they challenged the, the narrative. And so most doctors didn't challenge it. But Dr. Littell is in a different category. He's an independent doctor who has an affiliation with a hospital, but he's not a hospitalist. And so he makes a point in that meeting that, that I'm independent. I can speak up. I'm telling you the truth. I have nothing to gain or lose. It was really fascinating when he made that point. As he was, as they were escorting him out of the meeting. Yes, I mean, talk about a violation of your First Amendment, and, yes. and talk about a disservice to people that you can only quote unquote feel one way about COVID, and if you don't feel that way, you will be silenced. Yeah, you will be canceled. You will be walked out of meetings, and. I thought it was very interesting a few weeks ago when we were at the AFA retreat and we met a doctor and she was very upset because um, she had become aware of how they as doctors as a group had been misled by the AMA and various, the CDC, the AMA, various um, organizations that they look to for truth so that they do know how to treat their patients. And it has become very clear to them, or at least some of them, that these organizations not only didn't provide good information, that they misled them to treat people the wrong way, but the way that would result in extra money going to the hospitals from the government. One last thing, Bruce, because I need to make this point. Um, When... I ended up having to put you in the hospital because you were so desperately ill. I chose a hospital that was 45 minutes away because I didn't trust the hospitals nearer us. By that time, we knew what they were doing and uh, placed you in. And even without me being able to say goodbye, they took you up. I went to the car to get something and they'd taken you up, which is then you're isolated. I I can't talk to you. But I want to say that at that hospital, it was because of one Christian doctor who was a hospitalist uh, who listened to me graciously mm-hmm. and went against protocol and gave you ivermectin. And I, He would lose his job if we yeah, mentioned his Yeah, name. we never even talk about him because of that reason. Yeah, yeah. We are so indebted to him. Yes. I mean, he really bucked the system because I was already on remdesivir and they were setting me up for the ventilator yeah. the next day. Yeah. And you convinced him with facts that ivermectin would be effective. Yeah. And I will tell you, he took a big risk yeah. by giving that to me. Yes, it and was, it worked. Yes, I know. So uh, we know something about this, and I'm sure many of you listening do too, because you sent me your stories, and we talked about it so much on the air. And the sad part about it is, I don't think this is over. I think COVID has waned, but not in hospitals. And if they have a chance, because it's such a money-making thing for them, don't think they won't slap it on again, and that's the danger. That's where Dr. Littell's role is so important. So stay tuned in all of your states with your doctors. Speak about them. Speak about this while you still can. I want to tell you that if you want to call us, you can call 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. Or you can write us at sandy at afr.net. And, of course, we're available on all podcast platforms, but home base is AFR.net. Thank you so much for listening. God bless each and every one of you. See you next time on the next edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.